You are listening to the Center Church Podcast. Center Church is an unapologetic urban church in the heart of Richmond for the heart of Richmond. Our mission is simple, to empower people towards a life-giving journey with Jesus. Enjoy the podcast. A reading from Romans 12. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each one of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, everyone. Thanks, uh, Landon. Thank you, Megan. Thank you, Jonathan. Um, Jonathan, congratulations on being newly ordained. It's a big deal. Hi, welcome, everyone. Come on in and grab a seat. Uh, If you consider yourself to be a child, um, some of you are like, I'm a child of God. Um, But if you are K through fifth grade child, uh, which many of you are not, go ahead and stand up. We're going to clap you out of here, and you'll go into the back with G. Um, G's waving her hand, all our young friends. um, Get on out of here. And if you're sitting and if you're standing in the back, there's plenty of room. Feel free. There's some seats up front. No one will be mad at you for coming up to the front. My name is Stephen Poor, and I am one of the pastors, a part of this commissioned community, co-missioned community. That's um, two distinct congregations that are joining together in both word and deed to be um, a participant in the good news that is taking place here in this community. And I'm so honored that I get to be a pastor with many of you that have been sent into our community. Um, We're in a series right now called Deconstructing Jesus. What a provocative title for a series, huh? Like many of you are like, ooh, that's sexy. And it is. Um, It is. And you can catch up on the podcast, what I talked about last week, about how Jesus himself was a deconstructionist in a lot of ways. That when he approached first century Israel, at the time, Pharisees and Sadducees, they weren't horrible people. They were attempting to promote holiness so that they could become um, uh, an unoccupied people, 
You see, Israel at the time was occupied by Rome, and the Pharisees and the Sadducees believed if we could just make people a little more holy, then God will have favor on us and give us the land of milk and honey once again. The problem is, is that the Sadducees and the Pharisees, again, not horrible people, but they depended more on moralism. They tried to do behavior modification. Many of you in this room have worn the tankini at church camp. Many of you in here have learned sword drills. This is behavior modification. This is moralism that we hope leads to holiness. But Jesus comes along and he says, no, 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 no. I'm going to deconstruct this for you. It's not about behavior modification. It's not about moralism, friends. It's about something way more profound that will lead to holiness. And that is the extension of mercy. It is mercy that makes us holy people. It is mercy that leads us to deeper understandings of grace. It is mercy that makes us an unoccupied people in our hearts. Isn't it funny? And this isn't in my notes. I'm sorry, but I have to go a little longer today. Isn't it funny how moralism actually, and behavior modification, actually rips our heart apart, doesn't it? Soon, people that we would otherwise love deeply become our deep enemies, don't they? But mercy, mercy expands our hearts. Mercy expands bands who is included in this radical movement of grace. And that's the invitation of God. I think if I could like put it really succinctly, mercy leads to the well-being of community, doesn't it? Oh, and by the way, that I think that's something that is valuable to look at in this two-week deconstruction series is community. If mercy leads to communal good, why are so many people right now questioning the institutions that we depend on that have been tasked for the community well-being? Maybe it's because, and hear me out, the expectations and the realities are out of sync with one another. The expectations and the ideals that we have for these Long-lasting institutions are out of step with reality. And this has major implications. So before I jump into things, I think it would be fun. And some of you are like, what? We're like, I'm already with you. I know. We're going to pass the peace real quick, though, because I want us to get loose, all right? We're going to get loose. Pass the peace to your neighbor. What's a time when your expectations didn't meet reality? When is, yeah, this is funny. You were like, yesterday at Mickey D's. When I looked at the sign and I saw this beautiful grilled burger, but what I received was a sloppy mess with the bun on the other side of the meat. Um, Maybe it's the fact that your favorite basketball team, it looked great on paper at the beginning of the season. You had all the right players. Surely you were going to make the playoffs. Surely you were going to do something special this year. But then when the playoffs came, your team was at the bottom of the standings and you were in the backyard burning your basketball jersey while your children, Howdy and Jed, were looking at you with disgust. (laughs) Maybe it was a time. Maybe it was a time when you paid to go see a concert and you thought you were going to get an articulate 
vocalist, but you ended up seeing Dave Matthews Band. <laughs> and you just weren't sure what, in fact, he was saying. What's a time when your expectations didn't meet reality? Go ahead and talk to your neighbors real quick. Pass the piece. How are you? Go ahead and talk with one another. All right, you maniacs, come on back. Hi, Mish. <laughs> I couldn't hear you. <laughs> All right, welcome back, everyone. Like, I, I love that I say welcome back as if you traveled somewhere. Um, you literally turned your head. But welcome back to me as the center of attention. Um, we are in a time, as I mentioned before, where institutions are being tested, uh, where uh, more and more people uh, trust institutions less and less, right? Very few people trust the Supreme Court right now. Mm. Very few, few people trust the FBI. Very, very few people trust the presidency. Very few people trust Congress and the Supreme Court. Very few people trust the mail that will probably not come. Very few people trust the church. Very few people. In fact, the church has been damaged by our own doing. Our own inability to be a confessional people. <laughs> our inability to be loving, caring. And um, i got to be honest, and I just want to acknowledge you in this room, church might be the subject that evokes um, some strong emotions for those of you that are deconstructing or reconstructing right now. Um, because it's, the church is where, you know, the rubber meets the road when it comes to our faith. The church is where the rubber meets the road when it comes to our formation and our sending. In other words, the church has historically and culturally and religiously been the institution that we can trust to offer us some guidance in a fractured world. But how can you trust the church when it refuses to take a stand against the principalities of darkness that are ripping our culture apart? How can you trust it? How can you believe it when pastors don't have the gall to stand up for what is right, what the scripture teaches us? How can you believe it? I like to think of folks deconstructing the church like I like to think about people walking on stilts. You know, if you, if you walk, and maybe you've, you've probably never walked on stilts unless you're a clown, but if you, if you walk in alignment with your feet on stilts, you're able to slowly walk one step at a time. It's still really difficult, but you can move forward. You know, stilts, in the deconstruction church world, I like to think about it as one leg being expectations or ideals and the other leg being reality. You're able to move slowly forward if your expectations and ideals are met with the reality of the situation. You can slowly move forward. But if one leg starts to kind of swing to the outside, if we observe that reality of the church isn't one of love and faithfulness and confession, soon we're standing on one leg. And that's not enough to offer us stability if we're trying to move forward, is it? 
We have one leg going one direction and another leg that's trying to go in another direction and we crash, we burn, we fail, we miss the mark, we let people down, people become burned out and hurt. And the problem is, is that some institutions like the church, we cling to our ideals and our expectations, don't we? But it should be this way, and so we're going to present this as reality, even though it's not the reality of the situation. But it should be. You know what I'm talking about? And meanwhile, the reality leg is trying to move forward, and it can't. <laughs> it's funny how that works. And how can you trust an institution that refuses to acknowledge that it protects the establishment of ideals and expectations before the establishment of reality? How can you trust that? Because, friends, in this hyper-communicative world that we live in, we can see behind the veil of reality. Are you with me? No longer can we just say, oh, everything's fine, right? The pastor's saying the ideals and the expectations when we can very see the reality of the situation before us. How can you trust what isn't based in reality, but in fact hides or attempts to hide the reality of the situation for the sake of ideals? You see, what the church represents in the community is often perceived as the image of God. I am no dummy. I realize that. This is why beautiful cathedrals were erected. Not only is it the visual representation, but the church is the space where God's spirit inhabits our relationships in a unique way. It's also where we're most vulnerable, isn't it? It's where we come with our full selves, and then we are deeply, deeply wounded. You form intimate relationships in the church, not only with one another, but, but also with the organization itself. In a lot of ways, the organization has a weird way of becoming our identity, doesn't it? That's the reality of the situation. As I mentioned, people are seeing behind the veil. They can see that churches aren't doing enough to protect the people. And instead, they're protecting this image. Instead, they're protecting this ideal and this expectation. Meanwhile, people are grieving. They're making staff members sign NDAs when they change churches. <laughs> That's madness. Are you kidding me? They're spinning the reason why families are leaving when they're deeply wounded or deeply hurt. This is madness. Just say the reality of the situation and then be held accountable so that we can actually begin to heal with one another. You know what I'm talking about? It's not, I mean, it is hard, but if we believe in grace, if, if we really believe in, if we're people that are confessional and we believe in the establishment of grace, then it shouldn't matter. We should, man, we should have enough trust. And I know you're not all men in here. I'm sorry that I just said man. But um, people, we, we need to trust the grace of God. And we need to trust the institution a little more. But instead, we try to modify the reputation of Jesus. And friends, Jesus never asked us to modify his reputation, did he? Jesus never asked us to protect his reputation. He called us to embody his character. 
And do you know what his character was? To protect the people. Jesus didn't give a rat's about (laughs) the reputation. He just didn't. In other words, I'm sorry I'm going to go long, but it's just going to be five minutes over. In other words, our false sense of normalcy has very real implications for the way that people perceive the mission of God if it's not rooted in Christ's character. This is why it's not about our reputation. It's not about that. Romans, um, the text we crystal read to us, Romans was written by the Apostle Paul. Scholars unanimously think this is an authentic writing um, by Paul. And he urges the community to rethink and reshape and embody what it means to be faithful, to be a united community. How to become the kind of community that refines with one another, that confesses and can refine and correct and can receive grace and extend humility and refine, are you with me, what it means to be for the people. That's what Paul is talking about here in Romans 12, 1 through 2, where he says, therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, some of your Bible, Bibles may have said brothers, in particular if you have certain translations. That is a mistranslation of the text. It is brothers and sisters. Uh, let's keep going. In view of God's mercy to offer your bodies as what? Living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. We don't need sick merch stores in our church. We're a building that looks more like Target than it does a church. Why? Because we shouldn't conform to the patterns. Go ahead, next slide. We shouldn't conform to the patterns of this world, but we need to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. Let's stop creating targets and start creating discipleship amongst people. Then, you know what happens if you renew people's mind through discipleship? If you can point people to the character of Jesus before trying to protect the reputation of Target? Then, what is able to happen? You're able to test and approve what is God's will for the community. His good and pleasing will. Then, by listening to the people, we'll be able to be a unified people. People that are in one mission, one spirit. One that isn't centered around a personality. This isn't about Stephen Poor or Drew Wilson. This isn't about us. This is why we extend the pulpit to multiple people. This is, this is why we're about to run a Voices series in a few weeks, and we are bringing in some of the best and most diverse thinkers and speakers this city has to offer. It's because it's not the Stephen Poor show or the Drew Wilson show, but rather it's centered around the salvific work of God through community. I love what Paul is doing here because if, if you 
would recognize there was this Jewish prayer that was prayed every single day. It's called the Shema. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your body, your mind, and then your soul, the community. Basically, Paul is just giving some commentary to the Shema. He's giving a framework to what has been prayed already daily. Do our churches reflect and embody this kind of image of God, or do we try to modify Christ's reputation? Do we try to provide entertainment, or do we invest, do we invest more in lasers and fog machines than the mission of God? That's a question we need to wrestle with. Again, Jesus never asked us to modify his reputation. He called us to embody his character. This is why we are a confessional people. We will and we will continue to get it wrong. Whether that is our historical alignment with slavery, whether that is our historical alignment with westward expansion and the genocide of Native Americans, whether that's the colonizations of the colonization of cultures through the guise of missiology or mission, whether that's the way we cover up sexual abuse, our indifference to public health, and the stewardship of our resources, the way we aren't taking climate change seriously and preaching about it, we will continue to get it wrong. But can we, the people, Bear witness to the reality of Christ's way. Can we, the community, bear witness? People are not deconstructing, deconstructing because they want to hear a theology that tickles their ears. This is a scripture reference to 2 Timothy 4, 3 which is often used by the Gospel Coalition against people who are deconstructing. They are deconstructing because churches have forgotten the core principle of Jesus' ministry. They have forgotten their first love, as John says in Revelation 2.4. This is why church matters. One person cannot embody a healthy church. It's impossible. Nor can you do faith alone because one person cannot do faith alone. You will get it wrong. I will get it wrong. But with a body of people functioning with one purpose, we will and can collectively get it right. Paul says in Romans 12, 4 through 8, very clearly, For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function. So in Christ, we, though many, form what? One body. And each member belongs to the other. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gifts is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it's serving, then serve. If it's teaching, then teach. If it's to encourage, then give encouragement. Sometimes you just need uh, somebody to tell you, you do it, you're doing great. If it's giving, then give generously. We need you. If it's leading, then do it diligently. If it's to show mercy, do it cheerfully. The church for too long has depended upon one person to share from the pulpit, one celebrity person with charisma 
But a healthy, refined church must deconstruct its own power. We are not keepers of people. If someone wants to go to another church, we don't own them as property. Our task is to equip them during the time that we have them and cheerfully send them somewhere new that God might be sending them and say, amen, thank you for this opportunity to form you. We are so grateful for all the things that you've taught us. Now go in peace. Do as Christ has taught us. Extend grace and mercy and prophesy amongst the people. Or do we treat people like a commodity? <laughs> are they giving units? Are they people in the seats? Are they helping us grow as a megachurch? What are we doing? Back to the stilts that I mentioned. Back to the stilts. We mentioned that deconstructing the church can be a lot like stilts. One leg is reality. One leg is ideal and expectations. We mentioned that the church often clings to ideals, right? We mentioned that. And I want to invite the band back up. And as a result of clinging to the ideals, it crashes to the ground. But I think often we as people, and this is, maybe this is a prophetic word you need to hear. But I think often we as people we cling too tightly to reality. We just say, well, this is how it's going to be. The church is comprised of flawed people. We would rather abandon everything because our reality is set without an ideal. And soon we slip into cynicism rather than a hopeful communal expression of what we actually believe. We stew in our cynicism. We get angry. We slip into cynicism rather than being a hopeful, communal expression of what we actually believe. Maybe we just give up on church altogether. Maybe we just give up on faith because we've been hurt. And I'm telling you, I'm telling you, from an eschatological standpoint, for people that believe the earth shouldn't be tossed to the wayside, that there will be a day of resurrection, this is just sad. Sad. You can't just cling so tightly to reality that you miss out on the expectation and the ideals because you will fall and topple over. We must have both ideals and expectations, the hopefulness with the reality of the situation. And both must be in step with one another if we're going to stand on two legs. Are you with me? We need you to bear witness in the context of community so that the community can be refined and redefine what it means to be hopeful. We need you. Abandoning the ideal is not hopeful. It's not people that believe in hope. And friends, we're a people of belief. And maybe you're here today and you're like, I don't believe. And I see you. I get it. 
can we as a community carry that person's unbelief today? (laughs) Do you see? It's not me. It's not Landon. It's not Megan. It's not Jonathan. It's not Brooke. It's not Drew. It's not our church council. It's not me. It's you. The gifts of God for the people of God. And we collectively say, thanks be to God. And now I finish this sermon with an apology, a confession of sorts. I'm sorry. I'm sorry for the churches that have hurt you. I'm sorry for the times that you've been on staff at a church and you were treated like a commodity, maybe overworked, maybe not seen for your giftedness. I'm sorry for the churches that have tried to cover up your abuse. Maybe it was power abuse. Maybe it was sexual abuse. Maybe it was verbal abuse. I'm sorry for the churches that didn't believe you. (laughs) I'm sorry for the pastors that made it more about them than more about you. I'm sorry for the church that stood by while slaves were put in chains. For the churches that created auction blocks at the front of their steeple rather than tearing them down. I'm sorry for the church that saw dollar signs with westward expansion (laughs) before it grieved natives losing their life. I'm sorry for the church that is really good at theologizing bad actions, (laughs) all the while forgetting the hope that Christ offers us. I'm sorry for the church that doesn't believe in the community, but rather takes a few people and develops them for an entertainment show. I'm sorry that I've participated in that church. I'm sorry that I am that church. I'm sorry for the ways that I have done those things. I'm sorry. I want to say that we can do better, but we can't without you. The gifts of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God.